week of May 8th, 2022, this is Showbiz Sandbox, episode 583, the podcast that brings you all the dirt on the news making headlines around the entertainment world. In Los Angeles, I'm Jay Sperlingreich. Shh, shh, quiet. Wait, what? Quiet. What are you talking about? You I'm haven't even introduced quiet. yourself. I'm watching the Avatar trailer for the 47th <sighs> time, of course. What is it on? Uh, is it on YouTube now or something? Yes, yes, it is. And Sperling, I know one thing. What's Wherever that? we go, this podcast is our fortress. Okay, I have no idea. Oh, was that in the trailer? I mean, that's the only just... line in the whole trailer. Come on, get on board. Okay. Get on board. Get on. I should. I should have been in the TARDIS. This is Michael Giltz. I should have been in the TARDIS. You'd say, "Why are you in the TARDIS?" And I would say, "Because the Doctor is here. The Doctor is in. It's in Kuti Gatwa. Uh, you might know that Scottish actor from uh, Sex Education, a very good series, and he has just been named as the new Doctor. Russell T. Davies is back on board, steering the TARDIS. It's the 60th anniversary of the Doctor. And there will be new episodes. I thought they should have taken a longer break, but the lure of the 60th anniversary was too much. And so it'll be fun to see how the new doctor does. And yes, I'm Michael Giltz. <laughs> okay. Wow. That was a lot. <laughs> That's a lot going on. It's pop culture. We got it all going. We cover everything, Sperling. What are we going to cover this week? Oh, well, I'll this be week- gone for a month. Wait, I'm what? Gonna, I'm going to be in London for a month from mid-July to mid-August. So we should be able to do shows while I'm in London. There may be some travel day stuff going on. I don't know, but hopefully it won't affect the show too much. We'll just have to figure out how to do the time zone stuff. You're in LA. I'll be in London. So that's uh, like nine, eight hours difference. So eight hours, be, yes. Eight, that could be tricky, but we'll figure it out. But I will be in London. So maybe I'll have a uh, rent out a convention hall and let all our fans in London come and we'll all gather together like a Comic-Con. You know, we could do something what? like that. Yeah, like what is the smallest pub in London anyway? Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I'm going to need the Royal Albert Hall, baby. That's what I say. We got a huge audience in London. People listen to us all over the world. We have news from Japan, China, Russia, you name it. What are we going to talk about this week? Well, this week on Showbiz Sandbox, we are in the multiverse of multiplexes, and it's really weird. Uh, one movie seems to be playing on every single screen, <laughs> and it's making a lot of money, although they have different characters on every screen, so I really couldn't Ooh. figure it out. Yeah, yeah. We celebrate Doctor Strange even as Italy toys with moving its theatrical window back to more than 90 days. In television news, two big firings, they were uh, the, the big headlines of last week. Actor Frank Langella speaks out about his firing from a miniseries and decries being canceled. Meanwhile, Fred Savage is fired from the reboot of The Wonder Years, the show that he starred in in the 80s. Uh, And that's just the latest time he's been involved in onset behavior that others have questioned. On the plus side, we have streaming numbers and the major networks. You know, know, remember them, Michael? The major networks? They're adorable. Yeah, well, they've wrapped up the season and CBS is on top again. On Inside Baseball, we've got a good beat and you can dance to it as we discuss the new class of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and then break down the big deal in mechanical royalties. Songwriters may finally be getting a bigger piece Working of nine the music to five. Pie. What a way to make a living. Sorry. Yeah, well, I, she's really making a living, the songwriter yeah. behind that she, one. Yeah. Yes, and in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yes, well, we'll talk about that. Of course, during Big Deal or Big Whoop, we'll discuss some of the week's top headlines. But first, as always, we turn it over to entertainment journalist extraordinaire Michael Giltz to fill us in on last week's box office. (laughs) I don't know. Should we do the voice for this movie? 
You know, the Batman is already gone. We had Spider-Man turn off the dark for so long. It feels like another movie that that could deserve the voice. The number one movie around the world is... Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. I think that's a keeper, <laughs> yes. $452 million on its opening week, $187 million in North America alone. They just pumped up the numbers another $2 million bucks, so they didn't overestimate what was going on. A massive, massive opening week. It's on the charts, all-time list for this, that, and the other thing. You know, right up there. Great big opening. They made more, I think, on its opening well, not true, actually. Uh, Thursday night, Friday, it made more money than the whole movie made on its opening weekend, stuff like that, you know. Big movie. And, and the same thing here with Spider-Man. You know, we had Doctor Strange in an Avengers movie. We had him in a Spider-Man movie. So when the second movie comes out, he's been in these huge blockbusters that have really primed the pump for this movie, just like we had Spider-Man appearing in Avengers movies, and that set the stage for his solo film being really, really big as well. So that cross-promotion really paid off dividends here. $452 million. Clearly, the box office is back, right? Well, yeah. I mean, there are people who say, oh, it's still going to be 80% down. Well, yes, maybe in total. And yes, maybe pre-pandemic, Doctor Strange would have made $490 million or $500 million. <laughs> but come on. That's a big, big People are clearly willing to turn out uh, your your co cohort at Celluloid Junkie, Patrick Von Sikowski, had a very good uh, newsletter opinion piece talking about, hey, enough with treating every film as the barometer of whether cinema is back. With Spider-Man, No Way Home, and The Batman, and now Doctor Strange, it's clear big, well-done movies can score big at the box office. That's what he said, and he pointed out smaller films are doing well, like Everything Everywhere All at Once, and family films are doing well, like Sonic the Hedgehog 2, and Top Gun Maverick. This really depresses me. I thought Top Gun Maverick, yeah, summer blockbuster, tentpole movie, whatever. No, they they think it's like Downton Abbey. They're like, this will bring back the old people. I'm like, okay, yeah, I guess. Top Gun came out 40 years ago. <laughs> That's depressing. <laughs> so it's just for old people? Top Gun Maverick? Aren't young people just wanting to see you know, planes and jets and stuff. Is this really just appealing to older nostalgic people? That's That's very depressing to me. But you know, well, yeah, I mean, they're they're actually talking about the fact that when you look at, you know, is it a four quadrant movie? Will it get the kids in? Will it get the older people in? Will it get the women and will it get the men? And they're going, oh wow, apparently people under the age of twenty five really just do not care about Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not so much that we're bringing in the older people so much as the young people, are like whatever. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Hey, Uncle Tom, nice and fly your jets. Uh, anyway, there is a lot to do with the box office. China is in lockdown. In fact, China's entire weekend box office was $9 million, which is what Dr. Strange made, I think, in an hour. Uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine has sent the region into turmoil. Inflation is taking a bite out of entertainment budgets all over the world. As Patrick wrote, quote, all we can do is work together as an industry to make sure that 2024 is the likelier date than 2025 or 2026 for us to celebrate like it's 2019. Personally, I haven't written off 2023 yet. Uh, I feel like 2023 could be firing on all cylinders, but it's a good point worth making. We can stop worrying about whether people will return to the movies. You just need to release movies and make them available. There will be the whack-a-mole problem at countries around the world. Maybe we'll have something else again in North America that will slow it down, but people are ready to go back to the movies. And Dr. Strange proves it. $452 million in its opening week. 
Now, speaking of whack-a-mole, you know, certainly the, the, the COVID protocols came out for CAN. And hold on, they're written on this tiny little business card that I have here. <laughs> None. Uh, yeah, it's like there's like no protocols. I think you may, may. I don't even think they're asking for vaccination. They're basically I like, think to get in the country, you might have to. Yes. So they don't need to bother. Correct. Right. Well, maybe. Yeah. And I guess they're they're basically like last year it was spit in this cup every five minutes. Uh, and now and masks it masks are, you know, not mandatory anywhere. So they're basically like, look, you know what? It's the flu now. What I can tell you is, boy, CinemaCon was a super spreader event. And I'm, I'm oh, wow. only half joke. I'm only half joking there. There there were little outbreaks. What do you mean? What do you mean joking? Either it's true or it's not. Was it a super? How, how, do you know anyone who's been in, uh, gotten COVID from going there? I know at least 20 people that, that got COVID during that week. Did they get it from CinemaCon? Who knows? Was it NAB, which took place at the same time? Could be. Was it the NFL draft, which took place at the same time? Also could be. But traveling there and being in Las Vegas, they came home and they were sick. So that yeah. said. As, uh, do you know anybody who's been uh, hospitalized or have you heard anybody? No. No, well, no, that's good. So hopefully, hopefully that won't be the case and makes it a lot more manageable. Uh, according to at least uh, one website, iVisa.com, you do not need a COVID vaccine to go to France. They recommend it. They hope you do it. But you, uh, oh, if you are unvaccinated, you can travel to France, but you must take a COVID test three days before departure. So obviously, All hopefully right. everybody going to Cannes will be vaccinated and they'll be seeing a lot of cool movies. I wish I was there, but we've got movies at the box office. Doctor Strange is number one. Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, another $34 million. It's at $364 million worldwide, which is just about half of where it needs to end up. We'll have to see how it does. It's looking a little tougher, but it didn't collapse in the face of Doctor Strange. And you say there's at least one fan of Marvel who was not happy with the movie. I mean, my daughter is a huge Marvel fan. She watches those movies like, you know, she pops them like Tic Tacs. Uh, and she's constantly watching these movies. And she went out first weekend and went, got all her friends together and went to see the movie. She came back. She was like, oh, what a horrible movie. She's like, I had no idea. Like, there don't, was like, it was ridiculous, all the stuff that was going on in that movie. Don't spoil it for me. So it wasn't the horror aspect of it. And it wasn't some of the things oh, that are spoilers. It wasn't she like. Said it's it she, it she said it's a horror movie. It is a horror movie, right. Yeah, she said it's a horror movie. I don't know why they're not trying to like play that down. It's a horror movie. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see if that uh, takes. Did her friends feel the same way? Uh, did she get a great yeah, a bad they, vibe for all the people? Like, oh, I don't like that. No, it was pretty much the the same vibe. Okay, so we'll have to see if that affects the second weekend, but it doesn't matter. They opened it up. They did their job. At number three around the world is The Bad Guys, another $29 million for the little animated film that could. It's at $150 million worldwide. Another family-friendly film is Sonic the Hedgehog 2, another $25 million for that movie. It's at $350 million worldwide. The Lost City has already announced it's coming out on a DVD, I think, in July. That Sandra Bullock Channing Tatum flick is at $165 million worldwide. It took in $14 million this last week, and that's just about what Downton Abbey, A New Era, took in. Another $13 million this week. It's at $22 million worldwide. The original movie cost about, I don't know, 13 to 20 million to make. Maybe the sequel with everybody saying, all right, that made a lot of money because the original made $200 million and it only cost about 20 million. So that was a huge success. When does it open in the US? It opens on May 20th. And if you aren't sure of that, ask any person who's over 65 and they will know. 
Uh, it opens okay. at May 20th, and it, maybe it costs $25 million, $30 million, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, it's going to need to make $100 million worldwide. It will certainly do that. But somebody suggested that its returns in the UK were not as strong as they wanted to see. Whether that's true, whether the buzz on it from fans is not good, I think they're all going to be perfectly satisfied with the movie. I know lots of people ready to go see it here in North America, but I have no sense of the tracking in the UK, whether they just didn't match the original or what was going on. I feel like the anticipation here is off the charts, but maybe it's my mom. <laughs> maybe it's just my mom throwing me off. Anyway, that is still making money. It had a good solid hold. I don't think it expanded a lot of new territories, and it will be opening up in the US in two weeks. An Indian film, KGF Chapter 2, made another $13 million. That's at about $145 million worldwide. Then we have The Northman. That's chugging along. That made $52 million so far. And then the real success story here is Everything Everywhere All at Once. Still doing very well. It made $7 million this week. It's at just under $50 million worldwide. It's only in 13 territories. Most of that money comes from North America. There's a lot of way to go for this movie. And given the commercial and critical success here, I think that should really help it launch in other territories around the world. And of course, we have some art house movies here. This happens all the time. Right before Jurassic Park came out, uh, there was a scientific breakthrough where they actually pulled DNA from amber from a creature, like think a mosquito trapped in amber from like millennia ago. I mean, many, many millennia ago. And just like that was done in the original Jurassic Park. You've seen when before Armageddon came out, there was like a scientific story saying, oh, there's a big asteroid that has a one in gazillion chance of hitting Earth. And I feel like movies get timed to events all the time. This happens, but really happened this week in the art house circuit, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, so of course, uh, for those of you, uh, I want to say living under a rock, but for, you know, for those of you maybe not following U.S. political news, uh, there was a leaked draft of some uh, of a, the Supreme Court opinion having to do with abortion and and overturning uh, Roe versus Wade, which would effectively make abortion illegal in many states. Uh, and which it already is effectively. Which it already, anyway. I was going to say, as opposed to making it barely. Uh, you know, accessible, right. functional. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So that happened. And a movie opened up in the art house. That's all about France in 1963 when abortion was illegal and a young woman needed to get it. You've seen that movie. It's called happening. Did you like the movie? Yes. This is a movie that uh, premiered at the Venice film festival. Also screened at Sundance, Audrey Dewan. And I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly is the filmmaker. The, it is done so well. And I don't just mean the, 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 you know, it's just shot really well. It's acted really well. Everything about it is is just really, really good. And it's not uh, you just know, an important film in quotes. It's actually just beautifully made and crafted all over. Yeah, I mean, just the way the I just and of course, what what's worth pointing out here is the week in which the U.S. is about to take a huge step backwards to a time which this movie is effectively depicting, you're actually seeing depicted on screen the result of what that uh, what it leads women to do who are in, you know, this is a, about a woman who is, you know, a young woman. She's probably like maybe 20, 23, 24, 25. And she is, I think she's 23. And she is in university and she's trying to study and she winds up getting pr pregnant. And the lengths in which she is left alone and the lengths in which she goes to to get an abortion and how dangerous it is, just how absolutely dangerous uh, and, and how the doctors just won't touch her. 
she's just, it's really kind of scary that that's the direction we're headed back to. If only for medical reasons, it's, you're not saving a life. You're basically putting lots of lives in jeopardy. Well, the, and you know, the governor of Mississippi has already said, yeah, he won't rule out banning a lot of types of contraception. Yeah. What? So, oh yeah. No, the Republicans have been trying to make it harder for people to get contraception for years. They've supported pharmacists who want to say, I won't fill your prescription for the pill because I object to doing that, to which I say, that's fine. Get a different job. You know, if you don't want to serve meat, don't go work at McDonald's. If you don't want to fill legal prescriptions from a doctor, don't be a pharmacist. But no, they've, a- actually, they've been in, doing this in all this over movie, the country. So, yeah. In this movie, there's a, a scene where she goes to a doctor and the doctor says, you know, I'll get it. I, we have nothing to discuss. You need to leave right away. Uh, and, and he says, okay, fine. I will give you a prescription. And if you take this shot, it will, it will, you know, it'll take care of things. Uh, eventually, she learns that the medication she was given in that shot actually helped the embryo grow. And so it was, becomes a, it was, a, it was a, he was lying to her to try and. Exactly. Yeah. And then it becomes and, too late. Interesting. But you know what? France, I'm about to be there. Lots of good movies. Anais in Love also came out. This is a Magnolia film. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's a good, it's a good little, this, again, Happening might be one of my best of the, on the best of the year list. Anais in Love is a, a very well-made, uh, lovely little film. Enjoyable film. Well, there's great movies all over the world. In Japan, we are a week behind all the times in Japan, and Comscore doesn't have good numbers from Japan either. I'm not quite sure why. You say Japan is known in terms of box office figures as? Uh, The cinematic black hole. I mean, it's... (laughs) It's, so we're, it's we're, kind we're, of, and not only that, but like, you know, what operators are doing there, what movies are being released, you know, there are people that, that specialize in it and know it, but then there, nobody knows anything else. Like it's, <laughs> those are the people that specialize in it, but trying to find the data and trying to find the info can be hard. So there's a hit in Japan. It's Detective Conan, The Bride of Halloween. It's been out for a few weeks now. It's like the 25th or 26th film in this anime series. It's a, it made $12 million l- Last week, not the week we're talking about, but the week before, it's at $40 million total, but we can't find out this week's numbers. The only numbers we have from Japan so far are for Doctor Strange. There is a report at the box office mojo, which is where we sometimes find the Japan chart. So we know Doctor Strange made about $9 million in Japan, but that's the only film they have figures on for the for the weekend of May 7th and 8th. So we're sort of, you know, we're blanked out. And I know this coming weekend, Shin Ultraman is going to be opening up in Japan, a reboot of Ultraman, the TV series and sometimes films. The trailer looks a little dorky, but that's in the Ultraman style. I'm, I'm interested to see how that does and if it's any good, if fans love it. But it's hard to get good information from Japan. If you are in Japan and want to give us info every week or just tell us what we can do to get better numbers, let us know. Yes, you can write to us, dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. Or you can call us. You can leave us a voicemail. We could even play it on one of our future episodes. You can call us at 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. Or you can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash showbizsandbox is where our page can be found. Or follow us on on Showbiz Sandbox uh, on Twitter. Sorry, not on Showbiz Sandbox. Follow us on Twitter at Showbiz Sandbox is our handle. That's right. Well, we all want movie box office to be strong. We want people to be safe and get back to the cinemas when they can. Italy, however, is getting a little impatient. Just in March, you know, just coming out of COVID, and they got hit really hard, of course, in Italy, uh, they set a theatrical window minimum of 90 days. 
That was in March. Now it's uh, May. And the government is saying, well, people are coming back. We're going to make a theatrical window of 180 days. It's like, oh, my well, God. Well, they don't know what it's going to be. They're like, well, we're, 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 we're taking it under advisement and we're going to make it longer. We just don't know how long it's going to be. But it's definitely going to be like really long, probably 180 days. But we're really not sure yet. Which is not the way to go. You don't get people to go to the movies by saying they can't watch movies and in their home. That's just not the way to do it. It's important to have theatrical to have windowing. We we approve of that. We recognize that for big movies, for smaller movies, it's not always appropriate. IFC has happening. Sometimes they have movies that open up online before they put them in the IFC theater. You know, documentaries or smaller films that they know are not going to go wider. They do that because they're marketing it. You know, so every movie is a different case, but we love theatrical windows. We support it. 90 days, however, is very, very old school. I think the numbers are clear that 90 days had long passed, lived, outlived its usefulness. It was way too long for most movies. Most movies were well played out by 60 days. And the rare movie that wasn't, everyone would happily keep in theaters. If you've got a My Big Fat Greek Wedding, why, you know, kill the golden goose? So... Uh, Italy seems to be going backwards, but I did see a story about Russian cinema really going backwards. It freaked me out for a second. Torrent Freak had a story about Russian cinemas showing pirated movies. And I said, oh my God, like they can't get movies. They're like, screw you, West. We're going to just show your movies and rip them off. And then when we actually looked at the story, it's not exactly like the entire country is showing the Batman, is it? No, there's, it's, you know, a couple of cinemas uh, somehow got a pirated copy of the Batman, probably, by the way, after it appeared on HBO Max here in the U.S. Yeah. So that would probably be how that happened. Uh, And they're showing it there. And then, of course, you have, uh, you know, all of these uh, turning red. What what did they call that? Like they, they called it I'm blushing. Apparently, they showed the Pixar movie turning red. But by the time it got translated into Russian and then back into English, when Torrent Freak reported on it, they said, oh, there's a movie called uh, I'm turning red. I'm blushing from Pixar. I'm like, you mean turning red? <laughs> like, like they didn't realize that the Russian people had gotten the name wrong or that the translation back in English, they didn't realize, oh, that must be this movie. Though oh, it's some movie called I'm blushing. All right. Because <laughs> they're obviously not movie people. Though they should yeah. be. It's Torrent Freak. <laughs> and, you know, we are social justice people, aren't we? Yes, we are. Well, I, guess, some, I guess, yeah. Some I mean, who isn't? Good news or bad news coming from... Uh, the world of television and movies. Bill Murray, of course, we had two weeks ago that uh, a whole movie shut down because of his behavior. And uh, that was unfortunate. We don't know the full story yet. But from television, two big events. One, Fred Savage, the actor who has often now been a director on television, doing good work as a director. He was fired from the Wonder Years reboot where he was directing episodes. And I think he had an executive producer credit after an investigation by Disney. Reportedly, there were verbal outbursts and inappropriate behavior. Multiple employees had complained. And this, unfortunately, I didn't realize is not the first time there have been complaints about him. Way back in the Wonder Years, the original series, uh, a costume designer on the show complained that he and his co-star Jason Hervey were sexually harassing her. And the woman who played his mom talked about this years later and said this is one reason why the show was canceled when it was. That's not quite right necessarily. But she said she also said that had happened, but it was totally ridiculous. And he's the sweetest boy in the world. I'm like, yeah, well, you're his mom in the show. So maybe he's behaving differently around you as a 16 year old than he is when he's with a costume designer. So that was upsetting. But she did say he's the sweetest kid ever. And then later on a TV show he worked on as a director called The Grinder. Uh, it's apparently not a gay app TV show. It's got nothing to do with that. But uh, they sued over him being intimidating and harassing on the set. 
That case was also settled out of court, like the Wonder Years case, though Fox said after an investigation they found no evidence of wrongdoing. So a story we heard about long afterwards, which the person who told us dismissed, an investigation that Fox said was nothing, but it was settled out of court. And now this one where Disney looked into it and decided to fire him. Is it a case of like, well, now finally it's true? Or is it a case that our standards have changed and what's considered acceptable behavior 10 years ago, 20 years ago, nowadays people are like, no, we're, we're not accepting that. That's, you know, that that's go. actually, I've actually heard that a, a bunch of times uh, over the past week, specifically in regards to the Fred Savage and Frank Langella um, it, uh, moments, yeah. which you're about, I know you're about to talk about uh, yeah. that said, it's kind of like what I heard was people discussing it in a way of, look, it used to be uh, recently, it was if somebody touched you, if somebody did something like that, that was so inappropriate, that was so over the line, that would that was cause for everything. Now it seems that it's it's more m- emotional behavior, like you know whether you're you're mistreat. Neither of which well, is good. But people used to say that's fine if the director yells and screams at everybody. He's the director. Now we're like, no, we're not putting up with that. That's not right. Necessary to make a TV show. Frank Langella did touch somebody, and he admits that. Oh, uh, he, he was. They had a blocked for a scene of intimacy. It wasn't a sex scene as such, I don't believe, but it was intimate scene. And he had been blocked and trained, and he refused to follow the blocking, and he put his hand on her leg. Uh, and thought blocking was ridiculous and ruined his spontaneity. Clearly, that's not the way he's done it all his career. We talked about this, I think, last week. Now he's released a, 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 an opinion piece in The Hollywood Reporter. We have, To be fair, we have a link to it in our show notes. He thinks it's ridiculous and absurd. Uh, you know, there it is. You can let ha- Frank Langella have his say. However, I would like you to have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar have his say. He has done a lot on The Hollywood Reporter, writing for them and other places. Now he's got a substack like everybody else in the world. You can get it for free, however, and it's really great. Every week on Fridays, he makes recommendations for the best books and graphic novels and TV shows and movies and 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 music that he's consuming and that he really likes. And he seems to do nothing but watch all that stuff because he has more recommendations all the time. And those are really fun. And he also, of course, does social commentary. One was on Survivor, a recent uh, Survivor episode, which was quite interesting. And now he has one on this about Frank Langella and Bill Murray. And it's a very interesting take. He's like, yeah, I know. I get it. We're old. And we've been behaving like this all our life and we're celebrities and everybody just says, oh, ha, ha, ha. You know, you get a lot of passes when you're a celebrity. And he goes, I know times have changed. It seems ridiculous. You can't call women girls anymore. But you know what? You can't. (laughs) And he talks about it from that angle about how he has had trouble remembering what's appropriate and not. And he should be called out on it. He slips up sometimes. You know, he thought it was ridiculous that men would call women girls. Adult grown women should not be called girls. It's demeaning. He thought it was absurd. Now that he's in his 60s and when he's around a 30 year old woman, he's like, they seem like girls to me. I still shouldn't call them that, but I, I understand a little bit. Like, no, they are women. They're not girls. But you know, he understands you know how uh, that slip up comes. And it's a very thoughtful, good piece. I highly recommend it. We've got a link in our show notes. And, and that's the the frustration I think uh, among the executives. Uh, the discussion is, well, where is the line? The line there it's seems very to be clear. Little... Don't touch me unless you're allowed to touch well, me. Yes, if that, I say don't yes. touch me, don't. The director should not be running around screaming at people. It is not necessary. Way too many directors have been way too abusive and vile. You should not be in terror at your job. Nobody should touch you without permission on your job. Even if you're doing a sex scene, if they say, here's how to do this sex scene and you ignore that and do something else, they're going to get angry. And the the line is very clear. 
Don't call me girl. Don't use slurs. Treat me professionally and with respect, just like I should treat you. I thought you were you. supposed to call me by your name. I wasn't. <laughs> that's that's only if you're a peach. Uh, oh. We do have we do have uh, you know. There's a lot of stuff being made now, and you know there's stricter standards, and yet a lot more stuff is being made than ever before. And we've got streaming numbers. Thank you, Nielsen, and thank you our our readers who pointed out to us. Hey, by the way, that number's available. You know, online every week. So what's your problem? Go get it. Well, we've got numbers for you, and we've got the charts in our show notes. There's two stories, I think, in note of the top 10. One is Bridgerton. The Shonda Rhimes show is on fire, doing great. It's been out for three weeks now, two and a half weeks, really. This week, it's dropped a lot. It's still number one overall. It's the most popular streaming property. 1.6 billion minutes were viewed, but that's about 50% less than last week. It was 3.2 billion minutes last week. So... Let's not, you know, it was started so high. It's like a big blockbuster movie. It's going to come down by a lot because you started at 450 million for Doctor Strange. Next week, it only may make 200 million. Don't scream that the sky has fallen. It's like it started huge. So that may be what's happening here, but it's the third week for this and we'll keep an eye on it. But we'll see if season two is as popular as season one. And the other interesting story is a show I really need to catch up on is Better Call Saul. Season six dropped. April 18th. So the new season is out from Better Call Saul on Netflix, the, the sixth and final season, I should say. However, we're looking at the ratings from about a month ago, the viewership. Better Call Saul, before the new season dropped, everybody said, you know what? I need to catch up. And 900 million minutes were viewed in the week of April 4th. So like two weeks before the show drops, people were saying, I want to watch Better Call Saul. That's why you make new episodes and anticipation is so high. People are watching those old episodes that have been available for years and they're just prepping themselves for the new season. It's what you would expect to happen, uh, but it's great to see. And so what are you watching these days? Well, I'm not watching Moon Knight, but Moon Knight is on there. It's on the top 10 list. There have been two episodes so far that are being registered in terms of viewership. More episodes have aired, but again, we're a month behind, and that is building. So it went from 400 million minutes its first week to 600 million minutes its second week. So it is building. The more episodes, you want to see it build and build if people like what they see. So that's cool. Me, I'm old. I watch network television. and the, the You're the, the one. I I almost watched 60 minutes last night. There was something on. Well, that sounds interesting. You know, but yeah, the, 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 what's happening that we've had the season end and we've got a winner in total viewership and a different winner for the key demo of 18 to 49, which I am no longer a member of. (laughs) Oh, wait, uh, I didn't, I'm no longer a key demo. No, no, you're not a key demo, Uh, but you can't tell me who won the season in total viewers. I would guess probably CBS because it's that's sitting right the, here in the show notes. So for that's the fourth, good guess, good guess. I bet you can name the winner of the Kentucky Derby too. Uh, for the 14th straight year, CBS has had the most viewers. They have big, broad, popular shows. NBC, however, is breathing down their neck. CBS had an average primetime viewership of 6.3 million viewers. NBC had 6.2 million viewers. In fact, CBS, NBC, and Fox all increased their viewership, so that's good to see. ABC was the only one that dropped, and it is in fourth place with 4.19 million average viewers watching in prime time each night. Those sound like numbers on the CW, by the way. <laughs> that is a far cry from what we would see 10 years ago or 20 years ago on the networks. That is shockingly low numbers, but let's remember, a lot of people don't have to watch 
you know, the blacklist on NBC when it airs. I can watch it on demand when it's available there. And that's where a lot of people are watching these shows. So they debut on the network, but then they get watched for the next month and the viewership doubles or triples or increases dramatically. So yeah, these numbers are down, but that's because people don't have to sit in front of their TV every night and watch it. You might be watching Paramount Plus. My brother David is watching 1883, the prequel to uh, Yellowstone, the, the massive Kevin Costner hit. And I know Paramount Plus, is uh, they had some new numbers to report in terms of total combined subscriptions. That's right. They have 62 million combined subscribers oh, for I Paramount Plus. That includes 40 million for Paramount Plus alone and Showtime and BET2, etc. I'm sure they're going to you know, bundle those at some point. Why make people pay twice? I think you're better off bundling them and making Paramount Plus all the more valuable by having BET and Showtime, you know, bundled up in there for one low price. They're expanding into the UK in June. They're opening more European countries in the second half of the year in India in 2023. So there's a lot of work to be done in terms of Paramount Plus and the people who are trying to play catch up. They, they see Netflix and Disney like we can get there or close or at least make money. Well, I know that Picard is really, uh, you know, all the Star Trek stuff really has driven a lot of the, you know, everybody I know has Paramount Plus for two things. One, the Star Trek stuff and the, the stuff that you can only get on Paramount Plus. And, and some just got it because of the offer. So I know that's anecdotal evidence, but of the, uh, what? the offer, it's the, the kind oh. of mini series about the making oh, well, of the Godfather. I mean, well, I don't know why it got poor reviews and it's only a mini series, so they should get it and then cancel the subscription perhaps. But a lot of people get it because of the, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff of sports on Peacock and, but you know, got to remember the stuff that's powering. It isn't always just the TV shows and movies that we watch. It's also sports. Uh, Peacock definitely gets a lot of people who like premier league soccer. Um, but yeah, so that's happening. I know people who love star Trek, stranger worlds. Uh, that's a sort of a Star Trek series classic. You know, it's just basically like the old Star Trek. You got your people, you go to a new planet every week, a new storyline. Picard, I've heard bad things about season two. Big fans of Star Trek, very disappointed in the second season of Picard. The first one was fun. It was fine. I watched it. The second one I've heard, oof, people are not happy. Big, big mess. That's too bad. But it's not a big deal. The Star Trek franchise is not going anywhere. Uh, you know, if that's not a big deal, then I wonder if some of the stories in our big deal or big whoop segment uh, would, you know, be a big deal, at least to you. Uh, you know, big deal or big whoop is our weekly segment where we discuss the top headlines in entertainment and tell you whether they're really important or just overhyped nonsense. Now, our first story, this just in actually. Yeah. So, so, you know who Bob Chapek is, right? Uh, I do. I've heard of him. Yeah. This is really Justin. I don't know what you're talking about. What happened? So he's the CEO of, of Disney, of course. Yes, he is. Uh, and so, you know, Bob he should point out. Yeah, he was giving a commencement address at his alma mater, Indiana University. Uh, and he, and I think it was Indiana University. He made, he, made a, he made a spin on Disney's slogan or whatever. Yeah, he, he said uh, that uh, Walt Disney World was the happiest place on earth, which is the slogan for Disneyland, not Disney World, because Disney World is what? known as. The, the, the tagline for Disney World is the most magical place on Earth, not the happiest place on Earth. Oh, I've, oh, I, that's, I've always used that for Disney World or Disneyland interchangeably. That's considered Likewise. a mistake. That's considered yeah. a mistake. People are like calling him out on that. Yes. Yeah, so I'm going to go with no. you think that's I'll, a big whoop. Absolutely. That is not a mistake. That's, they, you know, they always. And frankly, I always think of Disney World as the flagship mothership anyway. It's not Disneyland. 
Well, okay. What about the Tony Award nominations? They're out, okay. and one of the big winners is Michael Jackson. Believe it or not, the <laughs> musical about. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's exactly what was what said. What he would have said. It, yeah, yeah. The musical about the gloved one only glancingly hints at the fact that Jackson would be credibly accused of molesting children, but still garnered good reviews and box office on Broadway. And now it's nominated for Best Musical alongside Paradise Square, a show that struggled critically and commercially, but still tied MJ with 10 nominations. Another big winner, Michael Jackson, or rather what? Michael R. Yeah, Michael R. Jackson. Actually, uh. there's an R there. Uh, you know, his autobiographical show, A Strange Loop, already has a Pulitzer Prize and rave reviews. Now it has 11 Tony nominations and hopefully a chance at a wider audience. Plenty of stars got nominations, but plenty of other stars got snubbed. Hey, being a celebrity won't guarantee you a Tony nomination on Broadway when everyone else on Broadway is also a celebrity. You can put your money on, actually, hold on. If Actually, anyone who sees a sure thing in this year's nominations is smarter than me. I, I can't. There's just, there's no way. The race looks wide open to me. Is this a big deal or a big whoop? Uh, I think it's a big deal, of course, for the theater world. Uh, some bad news. Looking at box office, again, we don't get those numbers till Tuesday, so we usually feel like we're a week behind and we don't talk about them. Just as this Tony Award deadline was happening, we had, of course, four or five new shows opening up. There was a huge, overwhelming number of shows coming. Four new shows opened up right before the Tony Awards, hotly anticipated, and the total boxes for Broadway, as I stumble over my words, dropped 15%. That tells me there is a limited local audience right now for Broadway. Clearly, tourists are there. They're going to see The Music Man. That's making like $3 million a week with Hugh Jackman. But the box office should not be dropping when four new shows open. That should be four new shows that bring in four new totals of money into the pool. It should be growing. It may not last like that, but when four new shows open during the Tony season, box office should be going up. When it actually drops 15%, that tells me there's just a limited supply of theater goers. They're there. They want to see the new shows, but I don't think a lot of them are going to have legs. So that's concerning. In terms of the nominations and stuff, I haven't seen anything. I haven't seen them. But boy, did Funny Girl just get ignored. Virtually nothing for the revival of Funny Girl. That's not often you see such a such a, a shutout for a show that was not exactly critically reviled. The reviews were very mixed, certainly, but I did not expect that. But a lot of people of color, a lot of queer people in the mix on nominations. That's great to see. A lot of new, fresh stories being told. Oscar winner Ariana DeBose is hosting. I'm like, okay, I'm rooting for her, but hosting a live TV show is a very particular skill. Like, yes, these people are on stage, but it doesn't necessarily mean you can do it. I hope she does great. But just like producing a live TV show, you don't just bring in somebody because they're famous. You know, like, think about who you're picking. I hope she's you know, going to do a great job, but that has me worried. As far as best musical, I will say this. From all the stuff I've heard about A Strange Loop, I'd love to see it, but it's pretty darn explicit. It's pretty darn out there. I just don't see the road people saying, yeah, I want to put A Strange Loop on my subscription list. I don't think so. I think they're going to all rally around six, the Henry VIII musical. It's been a big success from the start. It got friendly reviews, unlike the other new musicals like uh, Paradise Square and MJ. MJ got pretty good reviews, but I don't see that happening. But six? It's popular. It's fun. It got pretty good reviews. I think the people who want to have bring in a show to their town with the stamp of Tony winner for best musical, I think they're going to say six. That's my prediction. But it is by no means clear cut because all the awards, actor, actress, baby, it's it's wide open, baby. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, six was a lot of fun. I have exactly, yeah. and they're gonna, they're gonna. In a strange loop, I've heard great things. I really want to see it. It sounds awesome, but if I start describing the things that you hear in the lyrics in the show that they talk about, you're going to have to bleep me. You know, it's just, it's a very queer out there show. God bless them. Like slave play, you know, it's just, uh, it's very out there. And I don't think it's going to be quite uh, the one that the, that the people who are in the hinterlands and they are a big block of voters are going to want to, uh, to pick. Now girl from the North country and, and uh, paradise square. Yeah, Paradise I mean, Square. So, yeah, I saw both of those. I want my mm. time back. I can't get it back, but I want my time back. Although Paradise Square has a very good lead performance. When you saw Paradise Square, yeah. When and where and why? I saw it in uh, in 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 uh, California. In, no, no, I saw it in in when I went to see the Music Man in March. That's the the word I was oh. looking for was March. <laughs> oh, and and you oh, that's right. You didn't ask me what show to go see because I would have told you not to go see Paradise Square. Yeah, uh, I'll just put it this way: it was not my choice. I didn't. I was told we're going to see Paradise. Square. I would have said. I would have said no. You say absolutely not. Michael says, "Do not waste your time. That is not a show you want to see." Were they happy with it? I think people they, were. I, I think they liked Joaquina Calucano. Of course, yes, a good lead performance. But were they thinking, "Oh, that was a good show"? After they left, or were, did they like you think it was not good? Uh, I think I was more down on it than most. But all right, well, it's not yeah, doing well. It's not doing well. Yeah. Trust me. Anyway, let's stay with theater. What's up next? What's up next? Uh, well, I I can't tell you that because if I told you that, then the thing is, it's already closing. Okay, Ooh. Andrew Lloyd Webber's new musical Cinderella is closing in mid-June, and they're going to retool the show entirely before opening it on Broadway. Oh, well, I guess actually technically it's just a big whoop, except for the people who are protesting the closing and not the closing of the show necessarily. No, no one wants a show to close, but it happens. Instead, unions are protesting how they close the show. It was done on a Sunday when Monday was a holiday, so it was a bank holiday. So the cast and crew were told after the performance but many others were impacted, including many new cast members who were joining the show in the, you know, like a week later. They were just in just a few days. They were about to join the show with it being a three day weekend. Many, many people found out many of those people about to join the show found out they were fired on social media rather than from, you know, the show's producers. The anger was, let's say, palpable. Big deal or big whoop. Well, it's a big, it's a big whoop. I think. Um, I don't think they were joining the show in days. It was a cast changeover. It happens after a certain period of a run. There's usually a period when contracts are up and a number of people move on, and you're bringing in new people. So you have the expense of rehearsals and getting those people in. And so sometimes you make a decision: Are we going to? Do we really want to bring in new people when we feel like we're going to have to shut the show down in like a week or two after that? And you say, no, let's just pull the plug now. That's clearly what happened. So there were people poised to enter the show. I mean, they were in London picking out apartments. You know, I mean, people were, you know, literally changing their lives to be here in London and rehearsing. But it wasn't like a few days. It was like a few weeks to go. And the producers clearly said, no, we got to pull the plug now because we don't want the expense of bringing in new people when this isn't going to last. So that happens and it does happen. But the way they let people know, apparently, 
I think this was just the straw that broke the camel's back. I thought there was some bigger story here, but as I looked about it, it just seemed to be like, no, they always do this. It drives us crazy. They treat us like they don't bother. You know, they're so desperate to get it out before it leaks that they end up not telling the people impacted first. So they just need to do a better job. It's not going to cost any money. They just need to let everybody know. And if it leaks out, well, all right, you'll survive. But at least you tried to do the right thing. Well, normally, you know, look, you you mentioned it, Michael, we have listeners all over the world uh, and we've been faulted sometimes for being a little too North American centric. Uh, and so that story was from England. This next story is from England. And we don't necessarily always cover the British TV awards, which are known as the But Baptist. we've talked about Italy. We've talked about Russia. We talked about Japan, yeah. China, London. We try. We try. And if you've got a great story that we should be covering, tell us about it. Send it to us. You know where. Yeah. And you know what? So the BAFTAs, uh, you know, the television awards, they were held last week and many performers and shows were winners. And according to most of the speeches, the conservative government of Boris Johnson is the loser. I mean, it's like people would get up and well, you know, Johnson had a bad week as his party lost some key strongholds in local elections. So they, you know, the, the, the awards were held during an election season. Uh, this just puts more pressure on him to resign, actually. Not that he uh, will. Not that he will. Yeah, yeah. Now he's being bad mouthed at the BAFTAs was probably a welcome distraction for him. Uh, Jody Comer and Sean Bean won top acting prizes, while In My Skin won best drama and Motherland won best comedy. Oh, and Amazon's The Underground Railroad beat out Squid Game, Secession, Lupin, Call My Agent, and Mayor of Easttown for Best International Show. And Very everyone cool. piled on. I mean, damning the government for underfunding the BBC by billions while trying to privatize Channel 4. Indeed, Channel 4 is a key part of the UK ecosystem uh, when it comes to TV. And it allows indie producers to flourish and profit from their work. To top it off, stories about the government's bungled response to the pandemic were thick on the ground. Uh, it makes one long for the relatively nice days of spitting image. Remember that TV show, the political mm -hmm. satire show with puppets? Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I bet you Boris wishes that show were back. Uh, big deal or big whoop? Oh, well, it's a, it's, a, it's a big whoop, I fear. Interesting to see. It helps us know, hey, I got to pay attention to Motherland. I'm not familiar with that comedy. I want to check it out. Same thing within my skin. Great to see the Underground Railroad get attention in the UK because it's a, it's a great novel and the show is just beautifully made. And uh, in terms of uh, putting pressure on the government, I think most people will just ignore it. Oh, it's actors and people speaking in their self-interest or what do they care you know uh, a groundswell of public support for channel four hopefully this can help spark that that's really more important than what actors say on an award show but it's nice to keep the spotlight on what they're doing because i do think it's a mistake for the health of the uk industry well this next story uh is kind of about awards too if you think about it is Dave it Chappelle, well We'll, we'll get to this. Dave Chappelle was attacked while performing at a Netflix comedy event. The man had a, and it was right here in Los Angeles. I could yeah. have been at the show if I wanted to. Now, the man who attacked him had a replica gun with a knife in it, and apparently he tackled Chappelle with Jamie Foxx, among others, rushing on stage when it happened. Chappelle was unhurt, joked that it must have been a trans man, and then weirdly joked about beating the crap out of the guy backstage, who was indeed reportedly seen with some serious injuries, and I don't know if you saw any of the pictures, Michael, ugh, yeah, definitely injured. Uh, Chris Rock was there, and uh, he had the funnier line. He walked on stage and said, was that Will Smith? The assailant <laughs> faces multiple misdemeanor charges. Big deal or big whoop? Well, it's very upsetting, obviously. People, you know, tennis changed forever when Monica Seles was attacked by a crazy fan in Germany because they loved Steffi Graf, and they just walked on the court and stabbed her with a knife. 
ruining her career. Said her she was the most dominant player to an unbelievable level at that period in, in her career, and then it never came back the same. So that was a disaster. And ever after that, you would always see security on the court at major events. It's certainly on the center court for the big stars. There's security there facing the audience always, every major tour, every major event for tennis. That's just a permanent fixture. They need better security, better fixtures for people on stages at award shows and comedy events. Comedy clubs are talking about having security people on staff there by the stage to stop something before it happens. That's what they need to do. You know, this is not going to go away. This is horrifying. Uh, Dave Chabelle should not have to worry for his life when this happens. Wow, big dog outside my house, too, making a lot of barking. So that's terrible. But it also seems like this crazy person who deserves to have every possible you know, uh, charge brought against them, you know, people should not, you know, you can't do this, whatever he did, whatever his state of mind, I don't care, you know, let's find out and whatever, but that person's of the danger and a threat and they need to pay whatever a price is appropriate. They beat the crap out of him backstage. That is the uh, backstage. It was thing. on stage. It was, they, I mean, it was right there on stage. They were, they, yeah. Well, they described was, more beating him backstage. Well, Chappelle said, I, I, I went down, you know, he said he roughed him up or something backstage. I've always wanted to do that. They, they, you know, you're fearing for your life. That's completely understandable that you might freak out and the adrenaline is rushing and you might hit somebody. That's where security is there to like hold him back because you don't, when people are, you know, contained and controlled and held down. You then do not beat the hell out of them. That's not acceptable either. So it's not remotely the same as what this guy did, except you have professional security people who had the person under control and then they did whatever they did. That's, you know, a scandal as well. Obviously, we're glad Dave Chappelle is okay and nobody should have to be on stage and worry about this sort of stuff. But I, I can't believe there isn't more talk about the fact that they just like, you know, if police do it, <laughs> we're all outraged. Well, guess what? You don't get to do it either. So. <laughs> You, it's you know, just awful uh, that's, all around. That's why I always bring a, a pretty big uh, security contingency with me. You know, a big entourage of security professionals with me whenever I'm on stage. You have to. You have to. You know, you're at yeah, you're at yeah, the you're yeah. at the conventions. You're at the silly junkie summits. You just need the security. Yeah, it's just part yeah. part of the price you pay. I know that's a little inside baseball for people, though. I think you know the, your security finances and how you fund that and get write offs for your taxes. That's a little insider. Oh, you know what? If that's inside baseball, why don't we move on to inside baseball, where we analyze some of the headlines that have the entertainment industry buzzing? We'll explain what they mean for the business and more importantly, how they affect you this week. Guess what? If you are a musician, this really affects you because today we're headed to Cleveland to celebrate the newest inductees to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Even more, we get to celebrate something I love to say. Oh, let's let's just skip this part. We don't need to talk about it. Let's just get to the mechanical that's right. world. It's Mike, mechanical royalties, that, that's if you're a musician, mechanical royalties will affect you. Stay tuned. But first off, we need to start with Michael is wrong again. His logic was impeccable, okay, since it took many years after she was eligible for Dolly Parton to even be nominated to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Michael said it was almost certain she would not be inducted. You can take yes. it to the bank. <laughs> yes, especially since she said, please do not induct me into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. She actually... Pleaded not to be inducted. Uh, but think again, Michael, since the moment Dolly Parton could be voted in, she was voted in alongside a class of 2022 that, well, includes more women than ever before, along with Very Parton cool. Hall, 
yeah, the hall will be welcoming Pat Benatar, the Eurythmics, and Carly Simon, who you just know will probably say the whole ceremony is about her. She's so vain. She probably oh, thinks yeah, it's about yeah. her. Yeah, yeah. Other acts, by the way, included Eminem, big, big rock and roll act, Eminem, yeah. Uh, Lionel Richie and Duran Duran, also honored, are Judas Priest and producers Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis for musical excellence, along with... Uh, Early influencers, Harry Belafonte and Elizabeth Cotton. You know, Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, they always just like to be in control, you know? <laughs> I was wrong, very wrong, and I couldn't be happier. Uh, you know, this is great. A lot of women, that's great to see. I don't agree with everybody that, that made it in. I don't agree that Kate Bush and Dionne Warwick, among others, are not in the hall yet. The New York Dolls, Dionne Warwick, Kate Bush. Kate Bush should absolutely be in there. Simon LeBon of Duran Duran, who won the fan vote. The fans get to vote, and that gives you one vote towards it. So there's 5,000 people voting. They get one vote, but it does shine a spotlight on them. And so they said how grateful they were to their fans. And he said, you know, Kate Bush, she is like a deity to him. Simon LeBon says she should absolutely be in the hall before us. We didn't think we'd be in it. We're thrilled. We're delighted. I'm sure they're all thrilled and delighted. It's cool to see, but there's more work to be done. And maybe, just maybe, it's time to rename the hall the popular music hall of fame. I mean, it's like there's literally every genre except, except rock and roll on this. You know, Eminem is rap. Lionel Richie is R and B or pop. Duran Duran is new wave. Dolly Parton is country. And she absolutely deserves to be in there. Pat Benatar is rock, but it's not like a band. Eurythmics, great act. Carly Simon, you know, all these people, not a lot of, no rock and roll band. So well, I don't well, know. You know, maybe I think that Duran Duran getting in, I think that's just pure reflex. <laughs> You're going to cause me reflux if you keep doing all these puns. That's well done, though. <laughs> so Dolly Parton, speaking of rock and roll, Dolly Parton is rock and roll, and now she may record a rock and roll album. So that's kind of cool. She's been meaning to do it for a while, and maybe this will be the kick in the pants. Um, but she is one of the greatest songwriters of all time. That's what she would point to as her biggest accomplishment, the thousands of songs that she has written over her years. She makes a lot of money for writing songs like 9 to 5 and Tennessee Mountain Home and I Will Always Love You, among others. But she should be making more as a songwriter. For years now, record labels and streamers have been fighting with publishers about the mechanical royalties. When music is sold on CD or vinyl or a digital download, the record labels pay money out to whoever owns the publishing rights to each song. So if you got a song on Thriller and they sell Thriller on vinyl, you get ka-ching, you get some change. When a song is streamed, however, it's the streamer who pays a set amount to music publishers. That is the company that owns the rights to the song that was streamed. When a song is streamed, it's the streamer, however, who pays a set amount to the music publishers. That is the company that owns the rights to the song that was streamed. These are mechanical royalties. Now, in a tentative deal first reported by Music Business Worldwide, the mechanical royalty will rise more than 30% from 9.1 cents per track to 12 cents. So if I sell songwriter on a song on an album that sells, I get 9 cents uh, in, the, in the old days. Now, finally, I'm going to get 12 cents. It's a big difference, 30%, very long overdue. In fact, however, last year, a deal was struck between record labels and publishers, which, of course, are often the different divisions of the same company, so a little self-dealing there, and they agreed to leave it at $0.09, cents, even though it had been at $0.09 cents for like six years, and a judge had to step in and say, I'm not approving this deal. That's ridiculous. It's been $0.9.1 cents for six years. The rate of inflation alone means songwriters are getting a pay cut. So this jump should have happened years ago. Really important is that the new deal means the rate increase 
will automatically go up along with the rate of inflation as measured by the consumer price index. So the royalty rate of 12 cents will be pegged to the consumer price index. And as inflation rises, it will rise too. So songwriters at least aren't falling backwards year after year. There should also, frankly, be some payment for the years past that they missed because they've been sitting for six years with a deal when there should have been a new deal in place a while ago. But anyway, good luck at net. Good, good luck with that. Yeah, yeah, they won't get that money back. But pegging it to inflation is a huge change, a huge change in policy. Just like the, you know, we should be doubling the minimum wage and then pegging it to inflation so Congress doesn't have to step in to raise the minimum wage, but it just goes up along with inflation because that's how it should work. So this is a very big deal. It's going to impact a lot of songwriters. More changes need to happen on the streaming level, bigger cut of the pie, etc. But this is a good step forward. Uh, was I? I don't know. You sound as good. You like to buy stuff. You like to buy albums when you like an artist. And it's nice to know. I don't know. I, was, I, I, I don't know. I was supposed to weigh in. You know, I, I have to say, I used to buy a lot of albums, I, I, at least, you know, 10, 15 a year. Now I don't buy any. And I probably should buy albums. Yeah, if you love an artist, the best thing you can do is go to their website and buy their album. Even if you're streaming it, if you can afford it, say, I love this artist. It's one of my favorite albums. I'm going to support them directly by saying, here, let me buy your CD. And of course, go see them in concert. But now you know if you buy that CD, the songwriters involved will also get more money than before. Well, that's good. You know who's not going to get any money anymore? Well, their estates will. Uh, is some of the people who died over the past week, like Ron Galella. And uh, do you, now, were you familiar with Ron Galella? Oh, yeah, because my first job was at Premier Magazine in New York. I was a an intern. And my job was in the photo department, even though I don't know anything about photos. And they would say they would need shots of Marilyn Monroe. And they would reach out to, they wanted some vintage shot of Marilyn Monroe. They would reach out to the photo services, one of which was called Galella, which is Ron Galella's name, and all these other photo services. And they would send us a bunch of different shots of Marilyn Monroe uh, and other stuff that they would need for other stories. So I'd take all the King Kongs and put them over here and take all the Marilyn Monroes and put them all together from all the different services. And then the editor and, and the photo, photo editor, who was Charlie, great woman, she'd come in, she looks again, that one. Right. And she picked that one photo that she wanted to use. And then we'd set that aside. And then all the others would have to be resorted back into the sleeves for each individual publisher. So, you know, all right, that's the Ron Galella's photos. These are Joe Blow's photos. These are this. So you, know, you take them apart, you put them back together, you take, and if you lose one, it's going to cost you like $1,000. So you don't want to lose them. So my first job was actually going and seeing all these photo agencies and what they could send in and what they had access to. So, yeah, I'm very familiar with Ron Galella. Well, you know, uh, he was basically one of the world's uh, first paparazzi, you know, or yeah, yeah, yeah. one of Hollywood's at least. Uh, and he would take photos. I mean, he got punched by the best of them. Marlon Brando, Sean Penn, <laughs> he hounded the celebrities. I don't know if Sean Penn hit him, but he probably did. Elizabeth Taylor despised him. Jackie Kennedy Onassis successfully sued him and Andy Warhol loved him. Uh, so, yeah, he really stalked celebrities to the point where they got court orders blocking him from harassing them. And, and then he went and shot them anyway. And he didn't just stalk and harass them. He did also take some great candid images that have been displayed in art galleries and museums. He did have talent. One image of a windblown Jackie O from 1971 is considered an all-time classic. We got a link to that image in our show notes. And yet, you know, did a lot of bad stuff. Uh, I despise the paparazzi, uh, the extremes that they go to. Uh, he, he sort of was the, you know, one of the early purveyors of that attitude. 
that they're game ready to be hunted. And it's, it's a shame. Yeah. And there's a picture of him, uh, of Ron Galella taking that photo. Uh, oh, really? the, yeah, that's kind the, of the, 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 the Jackie O photo. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's interesting. Uh, did you ever see the movie urban cowboy with John Travolta? You know, so long ago that I don't really remember much. I, and I was so young. I don't really remember much of it. I bet you remember Deborah Winger riding the mechanical bull. I do remember that. I yeah, do remember slow that. Slow motion, baby. That was in Gillies. Uh, an urban cowboy and country superstar, Mickey Gilly, owned that club. He died at the age of 86. He had a lot of hits. He enjoyed a string of songs that topped the charts, like Room Full of Roses and Lonely Nights. But he is forever linked to the film Urban Cowboy from 1980. He owned what, at the time, he claimed was the world's biggest honky-tonk. And it was featured prominently in the film, along with him. He ended up doing some TV guest spots as well as an actor, along with that mechanical bull that customers would ride. The bar seated 6,000 people. And the soundtrack of the film, which was a big hit, featured Looking for Love by Johnny Lee, Love the World Away by Kenny Rogers, and a cover of Stand By Me by Mickey Gilly, which went to number one on the country charts, number three on the adult contemporary charts, and even crossed over to the pop charts, hit number 22 on the Hot 100. He is a big part of that whole urban cowboy country pop crossover era that many people in country music regret to this day, but it was a big, important moment for country music, and it helped make it for many years and even up to today, perhaps the dominant radio format country music, I think is still the most listened to musical format in the country. Maybe that's changed again, but that was true for many, many years. And this is when it started to happen. He had 16 number one country hits in all, including six in a row during the urban cowboy era. And this doesn't, this is pretty country. He died in Branson, Missouri. <laughs> that's pretty country because that's that town where you go and you can see all these aging acts, legacy acts doing their stuff in off, often theaters that they have bought, like Andy Williams did it, not just country people, but a lot of country people did that. And he was a cousin of Jerry Lee Lewis and Jimmy Swagger, which I did not know, but Jerry Lee Lewis taught him how to play the piano. So goodbye, Mickey Gilly. I didn't know that. Yeah. This one well, is all me, too, I have to say. did you, you? I'm sure you're too young to remember Bridget Loves Bernie. I am definitely too young for that. Right. This is a TV show about a Jewish guy falling in love with a Catholic girl and getting married. To which you say, well, that's, that's nice. This <laughs> and is you a can TV watch show it. you're talking about. Yeah, it's a sitcom. And it's streaming on Fubo right now. If you get Fubo or want to subscribe to it, you can watch it or get it on DVD. But this show was a big, big event in the early 70s. Actor David Bernie, who played Bernie on the show, different spelling, he died at 83 from Alzheimer's. He started in theater, did daytime soaps, appeared in a TV version of Serpico, the first season of St. Elsewhere, which he left because he wanted to go be on Broadway and Amadeus, where he replaced Dean McKellen as Solari. You know, he had a good career, but he will live on forever for this sitcom that lasted one season despite being a top five hit and critically acclaimed. I remember it. I was a child, but it's Bridget Loves Bernie, a Jewish cab driver, marries, falls in love and marries a Catholic school teacher, and then they move in above his parents' deli. You know, it's pretty New York. They're in Brooklyn or whatever. They married in the third episode of the series and moved into an apartment together. Hilarity ensues, except protests ensued. Faith groups were furious. This was just absolutely beyond the pale. In an era of Maud and all in the family, showing two people of different faiths getting married absolutely made people's heads explode. It was a top five hit, but the religious groups were furious. Catholics were angry. Jews were angry. Advertisers were scared. And so, you know, it just was too much. And so the show was canceled. People got bomb threats. They got abusive phone calls. I mean, it was actually 
you know, radioactive. And it aired on Saturday Night Live in one of the greatest lineups of all time. At 8 o'clock was All in the Family. 8.30 was Bridget Loves Bernie. Then the Mary Tyler Moore Show, Bob Newhart, and Carol Burnett. Despite ranking number five and great reviews, they canceled the show. And guess what? If they'd waited a year, the two lead actors got married. That might have helped the show a little bit. David Burney and Meredith Baxter Burney, who would go on to star in Family Ties, actually got married in real life. They had great chemistry. But even more so, because they canceled this hugely popular show because of the protests and the anger and advertisers running away, they took a show that was ranked 46 in the ratings and moved it to the best time slot on CBS in the biggest night of television. And that show was MASH which, of course, became one of the biggest hits of all time. And that season of On the Family, MASH, Mary Tyler Moore, The Bob Newhart Show, and Carol Burnett is widely considered the greatest night of television in television history. One of the greatest nights, certainly. Just quality television from start to finish. So very interesting. Uh, A lot of stuff going on with Bridget Loves Bernie. And it's an interesting show. I've loved to watch it. I wish it was streaming somewhere. I don't get Fubo. Maybe I'll subscribe. Well, last week we talked about a comic book artist, a legendary comic book artist. And this week, uh, it's a bad month for comic book artists. Yes. Because another, another, yeah, yeah, well, uh, I guess uh, George Perez died. That's uh, right. He was, he was a major artist working for Marvel and DC. He was born in Brooklyn. Uh, he was proudly Puerto Rican and he helped create the White Tiger, the first Puerto Rican superhero. Uh, now, I want a superhero podcast. That's what we really need. Super, you know, uh, we got one with Jeff Boucher, our friend. <laughs> oh, OK, fine. Uh, you know, he, he you know, as a writer and artist, he also created the Taskmaster character for the Avengers, worked uh, on the Teen Titans and rebooted Wonder Woman with a stronger nod to her Greek god roots. That's right. He did a really good job on Wonder Woman. That's one of his uh, key uh, accomplishments. He also did a lot of charity work. Uh, a Really a great guy. And he died from pancreatic cancer at the age of 67. So get your annual checkups, people. However young you are, 30, 40, go to your doctor. Start getting your checkups. And his greatest achievement, the one thing he's known for, he did great work on Teen Titans and Wonder Woman and all the other stuff. But in terms of his artistry and the work that he did, he was also a writer as well as an illustrator. Uh, but his towering achievement may have had a poisonous after effect, but it's not his fault. He worked with Marv Wolfman. What a great name for a comic book guy, Wolfman. On 1985's big miniseries, I think it was, I forget how many episodes or how many uh, issues it was, but it was called Crisis on Infinite Earth. It was a big crossover event to celebrate DC's 50th anniversary. It was the mother of all crossover events in 1985, and it redefined the continuity for virtually every comic book in the DC world. You know how sometimes they say, oh, they get Spider-Man gets married and this and then they go, never mind, we're, we're starting from scratch. Forget all that. This did that for like everything in the DC canon, and it included virtually every single character that DC owned. If there was a DC character, they were there. You would see them in a frame in this in this thing. And you can market something by saying, this changes everything. Well, Crisis on Infinite Earth really did, including things like inspiring future massive crossovers that people are now tired of, and they do it too often, and they change everything to a diminishing effect. But this one did it first, or certainly the biggest and the best. It was a huge event, and it really had a massive impact on the comic book industry. So Much like we have a massive uh, effect on the world of entertainment. 
every week. In fact, you might say you have the massive talent, undeniable Nick Cage like talent. What is that thing called? <laughs> Whatever that movie is have called. Have you seen that movie yet? You'd know I, I have, have not. You seen the movie? I have not. I should. Shame on you. Shame. Well, on well, you. it came out right around the CinemaCon time. I just, I, I and I couldn't yeah, get to the yeah, screening. Yeah. And yeah. Well, anyway, you can subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Microsoft Marketplace, Stitcher. Uh, I think uh, tune in. I like anywhere they give podcasts away, we could be found. So wherever you get your podcast, subscribe to us, rate and review us in any one of those podcast aggregators. It does help us out when you do that. And that information can be found on our website, along with links to all of the stories we've discussed on today's episode. The website is showbizsandbox.com. The email address is dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. Or you can call and leave us a voicemail. The number to call is 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. We're on Twitter at showbizsandbox is our handle. And we're on Facebook. Facebook.com slash showbizsandbox is where you can like our page. Now, all that information, again, on our website, showbizsandbox.com. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each show is by the popular indie rock group MGMT. They can be found on their own website, who is MGMT.com. Michael Giltz can be found online, and every week he's got a new and exciting website for us. What is it this week, Michael? This week it's Michael Loves Bridget Loves Bernie.com. Wow, that's a lot going on there. But you know what? If you can't find any of Michael's coverage of the entertainment industry there, why not head over to MichaelGiltz.com where all of his work is aggregated? Is that like the theme song? To- I have no idea what that is. It's the Doctor Who theme song. Oh. Oh, wait. We may, we may have to pay like 12 cents to somebody now. Uh-oh. <laughs> Some of my work can be found on Celluloid Junkie. Until next week, play nice. Oh, 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 oh,